Opportunity is not equally distributed. To every black entrepreneur listening, I want to make sure you have the tools and resources you need to grab your next opportunity. That's why I'm telling you about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of six million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and an extended free Shopify trial. Shopify has made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says... The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Chart your own path for business success with the one million black businesses initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at Shopify.com slash black print all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash black print. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. That $10 million movie <laughs> went on to do $75 million at the Amazing. box office. Amazing. And then, you know, obviously, you know, a couple of sequels after that, Tim Story's career. I think he was the first African-American director to have his film, you know, his filmography cross $1 billion. My name is Datavio Samuels, and welcome to The Black Print, where I sit with the innovators disruptors and change makers laying the groundwork for the next generation of cultural leaders this is the black print man i missed you last night at the bet awards man, i missed you know, it too man big boss so- got that lifetime achievement award <laughs> i was looking for you in She's the audience so well deserved, man. man i'm telling you yeah pioneer inspirational visionary all of those things. He's blazer trail for all of us, Even man. For all of us. But uh, speaking of trailblazers, um, I'm so happy to have you here because you have been such a trailblazer for the culture. I think that you sit in one of those seats that a lot of um, our audience and a lot of our community may not know and may not understand. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation where we can help people yeah. understand all the things that Charles King has touched um, and how you've used your perspective on leveraging the culture to build really amazing things, even right now you're building an amazing media empire. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say to you before we jump into the question 
is um, brother for me personally, it's just an honor to have you here. Um, we've been in the same circles okay. for a long time. We've been on the same phone calls, been in the same rooms. I think we're supposed to do Sundance with Kareem and Claude and yeah. that got killed by <laughs> Omicron and, and COVID. But uh, brother, thank you for yeah. making the time to be here. Thanks for having me here. Shout out to our frat mans. Yes, all sir. All the brothers of K-Side, yes, yes, like Kareem and Claude and all the noobs out there. And thank you for everything that you guys continue to do for the culture. Everything you're doing as a steward is incredible brand. Thank you. And, uh, and, and our community. I'm trying to catch yeah. you. I'm trying to keep up, brother. <laughs> Yeah. We're, 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 um, you and I are pushing on in such similar ways, and we're going to get into that, but this idea of like owning our narrative and telling yeah. untold stories. Um, I'm so excited about those ideas as a theory of change for fixing things for black people in this country. Anyways, we're going to get into all of that. Yeah. So why I'm excited about you today, beyond just the fact that you and I get to see each other and, and, and meet face to face for the first time, is um, you have done and touched so many projects and so many people who are the culture creators, the trail. But you are that yourself, but you have been the man behind so many of these things. So to get started, what I want you to do is just give me like 15, 20 seconds of like the types of people you've you've touched, the type of work that you've touched. But like just jump us <laughs> in and then we're going to go all the way back to the beginning to see how you got there. But give me like 15, 20 seconds. All right. So uh, I'll sum up 15, 20 seconds yeah. of a 20 year career. Yeah, exactly. So CEO, founder of Macro. We've been involved with everything from Judas and the Black Messiah. My bound. Sorry to bother you. Raising Dion. Hent defied uh, many others yes, some yeah, to come. Yeah, yeah. Prior to that, I was a senior agent and partner at the largest talent agency in the world, yeah. William Morris Endeavor. And I represented and worked with some of the most incredible artists in the world, exactly. man, from Ryan Coogler yeah. to Tim Story, director, to actors like Michael Ely, Terrence yeah. Howard, icons like Andre Benjamin, Prince Janet Jackson. Andre 3000. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Andre, man, my man, Andre. And then, uh, and then Titans too, during, you know, Tyler Perry. Yep. And then during my last couple of years, blessed to be able to work with Oprah Winfrey as well. So. so look, I know that's not necessarily your style to brag on yourself, but I want to make sure that people understand, um, who's in the room and who's in the space, um, as they get ready to listen to you. All right. So, um, you've touched so many people and so many things. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. So you said, um, before you're doing what you do now, you're at William Morris, right? You're a yeah, talent agent. That's right. Where did the dream to become a talent agent start? So the, the vision for becoming a talent agent landed somewhere when I was at Howard Law School. Okay, Howard Law yeah, School. Yeah, Howard okay. Law School in the mid-90s, somewhere in there. Okay. And uh, I was watching what Puff was doing, what he was building with Bad Boy in New York. Obviously, Barry Gordy and all these legends. Mm. But then I learned about the talent agency world. There were people like David Geffen and Barry Diller, who, you know, were, you know, media moguls too. And they all started in this talent agency space. They mm -hmm. started in the William Morris mailroom and then went on to build these multi-billion dollar companies. And so I was interested in film and television. I wanted to bridge it with uh, music and other aspects of the culture down the road. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at them like, what was the real path to get into that? And the talent agencies, they're at the center of everything. They're at the belly of the beast, package all the projects. They really are a huge part of everything that happens in our industry. So I thought, look, if a brother could get in there, get that experience, get that that foundation, learn the industry from the ground floor up, that I would then ultimately, I would do that thing and then I would go and launch and build my own company, which is what thing. we're doing today. Beautiful. So. so for the people who don't know what a talent agent does, yeah. can you explain? Ta talent agents, they are at the, they, get clients, they get artist deals, yeah. they represent them, they work and interface with their lawyers and their managers. 
to effectuate both their creative uh, interests and the, what kind of career path, the roles they want, what kind of movies do they want to produce, what are the types of projects they want to build both creatively and business-wise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you're at the center of it as kind of like the quarterback of uh, of those artists and, and what they're looking to do. And so um, talent agencies yeah. have been around for about 120 years. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that's that's what they do. Yeah. Thank you for doing that. I realize yeah. that um, so often people in our community don't know what jobs yeah. exist. Right. And so we have to um, make it clear so that people you can't yeah. be it. You can't dream about it if you don't even know it exists. Right. They negotiate structure the deals in addition to the creative sides, the combination. There you go. Yeah. OK, so. What you said was, um, I was hoping that I could get in and kind of break the, through this industry. It sounded like there weren't a lot of people that looked like you back yeah. in those days. How did you get in? How did you become a talent agent? Uh, so uh, I understood. Well, I was, you know, very, very blessed to get a lot of experience while I was in, in law school. Okay. So I clerked at a music law firm. Then I worked at MTV. So the summer '95. It got my break. I was working at MTV really at the height of where everything yeah. was going hip, with hip hop. Hip hop, absolutely. And uh, and so then from there, I just built a lot of relationships with a lot of folks. So when I graduated from law school, um, I networked my way in. I moved to L.A. without a car, a okay. job, a computer. I literally just drove a U-Haul truck out. Okay. And I took about 60 informational meetings you know, from referrals from a lot of the folks that mm-hmm. I got to know when I was in law school. And lo and behold, I got you know, sent in and met a lot of people and then ultimately went through a process and got offered a gig to start in this, this industrious William Morris agency training program. And so that was really, that's really how it happened. I'd say the other way is, be honest with you, man, God, mm-hmm. you know, Amen. because when I landed in there, there was definitely in the film and television side, there was no one in the tra- training program that looked like us. Mm. Uh, there were a couple of my brothers who were on the music side and, and shout out the famous Amos. He was the first mm. African-American agent in the history of the William Morris agency. Mm. He was a really prominent music agent before he went, built his business. And uh, but at the time, there hadn't been someone go from mailroom to film and television agent, you know, in the history of the firm. So, wow. Uh, yeah. If you graduated from law school and just went to become a lawyer, how much would you have made? Uh, yeah, six figures. Okay. Yeah. And instead of taking a six-figure <laughs> job, you threw all of it in a in a in a U-Haul yeah. and moved to LA to pursue this dream. Yeah. What did it look like starting out in the training program for WME? Where where did yeah. you start? What does it start? Uh, with? You start in the mailroom. So you I, so you okay. could have been a six-figure yeah. lawyer, yeah. and instead you were working in the mailroom. Mailroom making three hundred dollars three hundred dollars a week, working ninety to hundred hours. What made you yeah. What made you be willing to make that decision? What made you be willing to forfeit? all of that money to then go be in the mailroom. It was the vision of what that opportunity mm. would, would present for me long-term. Mm. Knowing that landing in that mailroom was literally like being, and I've said this before, like being dropped into a pot of gold. Mm. And it was about how much of that gold was I was gonna mine, how much knowledge was I gonna soak up, the dues you have to pay, and that's what everyone was doing. Mm. So I had to get in there and grind just like everybody else that's starting in that training program, just like all the assistants in the industry. It's a you know, it's it's a whole thing where you just learn, you build, you grind, and and you go from there. Like think about like hey, we're here on Revolt, right? <laughs> think about when Puff when he was an intern at Uptown, sure, sure. right? So it Everybody was that version. The, the training program is uh, the William Morris Agency is that kind of program for the film and te- television industry. Got it. Got it. Yeah. A lot of what I hear in that is that you had a dream and a vision that you were unwilling to trade off. I think a lot of times yeah. we make people make short term decisions, right? So That's people right. make that short term decision, go get that. Six figure job. You were like, no, no, no. I know the dream. 
I have the vision, I have the plan, and this is just a part of the process. Absolutely. Okay. So how do you get from mailroom to actually becoming an agent? <laughs> well, man, I, I work my ass off. You do what you always do, man. Mm. You work 10 times harder. Mm. You know, you're smart, you're thoughtful, you're resourceful. But my thing was I treated everyone from the copy center who were like literally copying scripts in the... In the- hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before people in the mailroom to this to the ceo of the firm and i really built relationships with everyone i would stay back after lunch and get to know the guys that had been working in the mailroom for 10 years mm-hmm. and i would say tell me about that agent tell me about this agent tell me about that agent and literally got the download on everybody throughout that entire building from the people who had been there in there delivering their mail it's for genius. 10 years so i did that secondly i built relationships with all of my peers and my mm. colleagues who were starting out in the mailroom with me and all of the assistants mm. then from there i made sure i stopped and got to know every single agent as they're walking down the hall mm. i figured out a way to like understand the deal that each agent made then i would get a time to sit in their office and to talk to them about their deal. So I would do that. And it was what I would call the act as if theory. So okay. look, I was only making $300 a week. So I had my, <laughs> my two Armani suits that I wore literally like two, three times a week and just like reverse recycle. And, uh, but look, I carried myself. I conducted myself as though mm. as an agent. And one of those things was I was signing clients, cultivating business. Even you were be- signing clients? Before I became an agent. Get out. Before I became so an agent. how does that happen? How do they allow you to sign a client and you're not even an agent? My relationships my the mm. relationships with the lawyers and people shout out to you know legends like louise west who, mm. who introduced me to you know dmx well missy elliott actually was the first missy okay. elliott and, and shout out to matt middleton who uh was who sent me dmx literally right during my first year of being an agent but there okay. were there were a couple of entertainment attorneys that I got to know during that time who said, well, this guy is really smart. He's on the rise. We need to have someone like this in there. And I was cultivating, bringing in clients. There was a guy named Eric Fogel who created okay. a show, Celebrity Deathmatch. This Clay oh, yeah, I remember that MTV. Yeah, right? the creator of that show I brought in, I was literally, before I even landed, on a desk. Yeah. So I was cultivating business showing that there was a marketplace and an opportunity for us to build upon that they weren't understanding. I understood the culture and I was leaning into the shift in demographics back then, mm. showing stats and statistics where this industry was going. And and, bank, and frankly, I got some good advice from there was a guy named Bernie Brillstein, okay. who's one of these legendary guys who started in the mailroom. He, he's a guy who represented Lauren Michaels. He put together the um, the the Muppet television show, and mm. he had this Bernie Brillstein Gray. That's as big you know, as it gets. So he he came and spoke to a group of trainees, and I told him, "Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. I'm going after the multicultural space. The mm. fact that I understand African American culture, where things are going." And he said, "Look, they're just you're, they're never going to get it. Mm. You're just going to have to do it." At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. 
In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And I said, that's exactly what I'm doing. And that's exactly what I did. So two and a half years in, I got promoted. And man, the rest was history, man, once that happened. You, you're going to smash. We won't get into that. You're, <laughs> you're, you, you've discussed so many things, but there are a couple of threads that actually are crossing over some of these conversations. Um, one, your, your conversation around the power of relationships. That's right. And what I love that you did is you made relationships with everyone and saw value in everyone. From Everybody. The, from the people in the copy room to the yes. secretary to the CEO. I think a lot of times we, we miss that, right? I think the other thing is, you know, people always want to be promoted and want to be promoted quickly. Mm-hmm. And I always say there's two ways to get promoted. You are either doing the job before you've earned it and you prove yeah. to people that you yeah. can do the job, then you there get promoted. Or for the business, they're taking a risk on you. That's you right. haven't yet proven yourself, but they're saying they got potential. Let me take this risk. Most people get promoted the first way. Yeah. Right. You have to step into the role, act as if you were in the role and show people that you can do it. Right. That's that right. Sounds like that was key to you. OK. First, um, the first big project you did. Can you tell me about it? And can you tell me how it made you feel like were you like, I'm here. I've arrived. <laughs> I should have been making six figures a long time ago. Right. But now I'm I, here. The first big thing that really like hit was barbershop. So Tim Story, my brother, my, my, my dear friend Tim Story, um, we met through some friends, once again, from law school. Okay. Uh, back when I was still a trainee, the, the guy whose desk I was on uh, actually knew Tim from, from film school. Okay. And so I started, you know, hip-hocking in Tim. He was doing all these big music videos for like NSYNC and mm. Tyrese and all these folks. And my first year as an agent, I was covering MGM. So I was responsible for selling all the clients that were represented by William Morris to MGM. And Got there was it. a script that landed there called Barbershop. Okay. And so uh, I remember I orchestrated with my, my good friend, Poppy Hanks, who worked for George Tillman and Bob Title, mm. and who were the producers of that film. We got Tim's story, Barbershop. I went to the guys who were running the motion picture group and said, look, there's this filmmaker, Tim's story, he's dope. And uh, I, we want, you know, I got him this movie, Barbershop. Come on, I, I don't want him to be a hip pocket client. We need to represent him. They were like, okay, you can have this one. Anyway, make a long story All short. I need is one. That $10 million <laughs> movie went on to do $75 million at the Amazing. box office. Amazing. And then, you know, obviously, you know, a couple of sequels after that, Tim Story's career. I think he was the first African-American director to have his film, you know, his filmography cross $1 billion. And, and uh, that was the first of the projects mm. that, I, that I think was like, this is the one that hit. And that was maybe three, four years in. There was one actually before that. Okay. Kings of Comedy. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, huge. Yeah, about a year or two before that. Walter Latham. Six months into being an agent, one of my colleagues in the music, actually in the comedy promotion group said, there's a young man named Walter Latham. You guys are around the same age. He was 30 years old, yeah. 31 at the time. I was had just turned 30. And he said, look, I want to actually make a movie about Kings of Comedy. And I'm interested in bringing Spike Lee on to direct. And make a long story short, we started representing Walter Latham. That's and good. then we put Spike Lee on as the director. I was the young guy added to Spike's team because he was one of those people who was vocal. Like, where are the brothers up here? <laughs> and, uh, and Kings of Comedy, a little $3 million movie that Walter Latham put up half the money for. Mm. 
Bad that movie that, that movie made almost 40 million a box office sold a gang of DVDs. I don't think Walters had to have a regular job ever, ever since. since. <laughs> he did extraordinarily well. That was my first thing, and that came out somewhere within my first year. Maybe how did it yeah, feel? How did it feel? Do you remember how that felt to you as a young man? That was exciting, man. Yeah. It was exciting. Then we then Walter, it's a whole long story, but Walter introduced <laughs> me to one of the key people whose career really, you know, is transcended the, our entire industry was a huge thing for me mm. when I was an agent. Yeah. Again, power of relationships. Absolutely. All right. So you go from the mailroom to becoming an agent. And mm. then for me, the way that I know your story is that you were the first black partner at WME Endeavor. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So how do you get from agent who's clearly winning, right? Yeah. And winning with the culture. Yeah. How do you get from there to partner? couple of things. Um, I, I picked my major, which was to represent screenwriters, and, and directors initially. Mm. But I had a vision to understand and be multilingual, to understand all of the aspects of our industry. Real quick, when you say I picked my major, you mean within the talent within, space? With, within, yeah, because normally within the talent agency space, there are folks that I represent authors of books. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I, I'm an I'm a agent that books artists that, that go on tour for hip hop. Mm -hmm. I only represent television actors. Mm -hmm. So I had to pick a lane to Focus. start with. Gotcha. So I focused on the material. Because if you can understand the material, the foundation, the screenplays, you could be a part of selling the project and setting them up. And then you could put the directors onto them who then hire the talent. Mm. So I focused there initially. And then I took my understanding of the culture and my ability to identify talent. And I started signing actors. Mm -hmm. And I started signing like the prominent hip hop artists that I knew were going to be movie stars like DMX and Andre Benjamin, Tyrese, folks like people that. People go cross over. Yeah, yeah people go And then I started signing actors. And so what I did was I patterned my growth after the people that were running the agencies. And they mm -hmm. were all people that were also multilingual. They understood film. They understood television. They understood music. They understood the financing structures and how the big picture was put together. So I really patterned my growth after them while I leaned into the culture. So, what, about so what happened was by the time I hit my fourth or fifth year as an agent, okay. my client base had just skyrocketed. It had morphed past most of my colleagues. Mm. And so at five, six years into being an agent, I had a you know multi-million dollar so client base, a client list that rival people who had been agents for 25, 30 years. That's crazy. And, uh, and so that's why the trajectory was a hockey stick trajectory. It really, my nickname for years was 05. Okay. Because 05 was a year where everything just, it just, it mm. took off. It just took off, you know, the, Put together the Outcast movie Idlewild, Hustling Flow with Craig Brewer, I mean, then signed Terrence Howard, then it was Paula Patton. Tyler Perry's first movie came out that I'd packed, you know, helped put help put together. It was all of those things, and then we signed Prince. It was all these things happening. You signed Prince in in two thousand and five. So so then after that. A couple Skyrocket. years later, I became partner. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> All right, so your partner in this firm, and, and again, I know you to be, um, you were the top black Asian. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. At that time, right? You were the top black agent, um, clearly from all of the work that you were doing and touching. And then at some point in time, you decide to pop out of the machine hmm. and do your own thing. Why would you do that? Well, it wasn't a some point in time right. decision. It was a decision I made even before I went into the mailroom. I went in there 
with a 10 year vision and plan mm. to go in, get the experience to then go one day launch and build my own company. And what I found out while I was in there was I loved doing it. Mm. I was also very good at it. There was a lot of power in being able to be a part of being an artist advocate. And I love advocating for those artists and being a part of helping them to, the, you know, be a part of the helping them to achieve their creative and business goals. And I was able to open up a lot of doors and, and really um, trail, you know, burn the trail for others to follow. Yeah. But I knew that the real power was going to be from shifting and going to the other side. So I used to have this gnawing feeling mm. somewhere around 2008, 2007. I was at the height of things at William Morris. And I just even then knew that there was a bigger play. I stayed past that time because I was being groomed for the future leadership of the firm. Mm. And there were all the things in place that come with that, you know, the certain kind of deal, yeah. the triggers and, you know, you'll be a member of the board, et cetera. Then we went through the William Morris and Endeavor merge. And that was really that shake up around that. Really, the, the disruption around it got me to reset, think about why did I come out here in the first place? Mm. And that's when. I quietly continued to soldier by day and became was the partner at WME. And that's when I started building my relationships on Wall Street and technology and the private equity space that people are doing the M&A deal. So that when I finally made that jump, I started writing a business plan, mm -hmm. had some really smart, you know, Harvard NDAs, you know, kind of people working at night and on the weekends while I was soldiering and being an agent by day. And uh, and then ultimately uh, made my move from a position of strength. There were a couple mm -hmm. of key deals that, you know, I was a part of. I was also making sure I wanted to leave the legacy behind. A few of the folks that I mentored, making sure that they were at the right place and was a part of, you know, signing some of the next generation of people that we're seeing now who are transforming our, our industry. Mm -hmm. So I made sure that it was in a good place for me to finally make that jump. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com slash commercials. And finally, you know, had the courage to have those conversations. So it was really four years after I wrote that business plan. I wrote the business plan in 2010. Mm -hmm. I told the, my, my colleagues and the partner, people that were running William Morris, that I was going to leave in 2014. Mm -hmm. And we publicly announced the launch of Macro in 2015. So phenomenal story. So many of us today don't want to do the work that I think you did, right? Yeah. So you said, I knew I wanted to open this type of company yes. before I went into the mailroom, but you still did a 10 year stint to build the experience and to build the relationships right. and to build everything that you needed, that you needed to be successful. Why do you think you aren't willing just to jump straight into the content space? Right. So a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of people today, this our generation, um, 20 years old, 20 years just jumping right into it. Right. Yeah. Why didn't you do that? I, you know, from the experience that I had as an agent, I knew that just jumping in and saying, hey, I'm just a producer. I'm a producer for hire now. 
that that was not the way to go from a place of being empowered. Mm. I saw from my time as an agent, I'm running around trying to convince people why certain stories needed to be told, why certain artists needed to be hired, and and understanding the value of the marketplace that we have Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. film and TV. So much of what you're seeing now, for years when I was an agent, there was just like a lack of understanding of the shift in our dynamic of terms of our numbers, mm-hmm. who's watching, consuming more content. We all know 50% of every ticket that's, that's purchased when people go to movies is from a person of color. Mm-hmm. We know African-Americans over-index on consumption of television by 40%. We know how the impact we have on culture, but those halls that I was sitting in, mm-hmm. there was no understanding of that or a no uh, connectivity to that with what movies were getting greenlit and what stories are being told. So I knew that when I made the jump, it had to be from raising capital to develop those stories, to finance those stories, mm. and then to utilize their distribution systems and ecosystem to have those stories be told or to partner with them. Mm. And so I needed to have the credibility and ability to go raise capital to show it could be done and that we could focus on a company in this space and have be capitalized to finance and produce those stories. Mm-hmm. And so once I did it, and once we've now at a great place, it's really very um, what I did. Is I wanted to do this for our company and build a multi-billion dollar company, which we're well on our way of doing. But I also wanted to show it could be done so others mm-hmm. would go and raise capital. And that's what we're seeing now. Mm-hmm. There's at least a half dozen other companies, if not more, who've gone out and raised third party capital that are focused on the multicultural space and our culture that aren't just producers and, for hiring. And you were the originator. With a focus mm-hmm. on telling these stories. Yeah. Now, that, of course, there were originators yeah, in yeah, music, yeah, yeah. and there were originators like Bob Johnson and Kathy Hughes, obviously with Radio One and TV One. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, from a studio perspective, yeah. an independent studio perspective, yes, there were folks with a focus on multicultural and our culture. You know, I remember when that press release came out, man, it just shook the industry. It just like waves went shocked, went through the industry. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like, who is this man, Charles King? And what is he doing? Um, okay. So you're now starting macro. It's the, it's, it's the first of its kind. You're raising money. I want you to talk to me about your first year at macro. Mm. Was it everything you imagined? Oh. Was it beautiful? Was it lovely? You're just coming off of a, a life at WME Endeavor with like yeah. everything is popping. Yeah. But now here you have finally got to the dream. You had the plan. Yeah. You're finally in the dream seat. Yeah. What did that feel like? No, How man. was that first year? I remember the day that I finally had that conversation internally to say, hey, I'm going to leave and I'm going to go do this. Mm-hmm. I remember walking down, walking down Rodale Drive and I looked up at the sky. It's like the sky was so crystal clear and blue. I could I. I was so excited to finally like be in, to embark on this journey. So when we finally announced and I jumped out that window on the 5th of January, we, it was a big leap of faith. Uh, you know, I had parties that I was talking to, but the, but the money hadn't been wired. It wasn't in the bank. Oh. And so my wife and I, we self-funded the company for the first six months. Yeah, we had committed to a couple of executives who started with us day one. Mm-hmm. And I would say it was scary but exciting and invigorating all at the same time. Mm-hmm. I would, I would, an analogy would be just imagine jumping out off, a, off like the top of a skyscraper, but I had a parachute on, you okay. know, kind of like base <laughs> jumper. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. oh my gosh, it was like crazy. Oh, it was almost irresponsible, but okay. you almost have to do things that are irresponsible and take significant risks to have the reward. Double click into that. Why is it important that we... Um, take on things that have risk with high, high risk with high reward. I mean, why is it why is it important that we bet on ourselves in situations that other people may not? Well, there's a reason why most people don't do it. 
You know, you can be in a safe position because it is tough. It's challenging. It's risky. Uh, you also have to have execution. But I was calculated. Mm. I believed in myself all the years of experience. I studied hard. I cultivated relationships. I did right by people in the industry. Mm. And so I was very blessed when I finally made the jump. I was really ex- was, was welcomed positively and found the most incredible partners when I launched the company. Um, Emerson Collective being the lead in that round, but some other great mission aligned partners, very thoughtful, smart, strategic partners mm. from Wall Street, from technology uh, and uh, and also, you know, from the impact space. And, and really, that was our foundation. That first year was invigorating. A big part of it was laying the foundation. Mm. But we also then began to, you know, raise additional funds immediately. Once I had my seed capital, which closed in six months, we, f- we financed our first movie, this movie, The Land. We financed within six months. Stephen Capel, shout out to him. That was the first time we was an EB- EP on something. That movie, The Land, was the conduit, was, it became the film that got him Creed too. Okay. Now okay. he's directing Transformers. That's, that's Literally, amazing. the latest Transformers is, is his film. He's in post on it. That was our very first film. So within one year of launching Macro, we had a film at the Sundance Festival. Almost one year after that, I had enough capital we'd raised to actually start financing movies, and we co-financed Fences about a year and a couple months into launching. Fences macro. was the first one, so I didn't know that. I thought oh Fences yeah, was the Fences first was one. our first studio co-fi. I see. And Mudbound was around the exact same time where we co-financed and produced Mudbound. Both of those movies, so Fences got what four Academy Award nominations and Viola won, and then Mudbound got four Academy Award nominations, including Mary J. Blige. Right. And that was the first time I acted was a producer, mm. an actual PGA producer on a film. We have four Academy. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Why is that important for it? Why is it important? For the people who don't know, why? Because is it it's important? showing execution. It's showing our ability to find a piece of material, to put it together with the cast. We put the financing in place. We put together production plan alongside our partners, and we executed on one of the most one of the films I think will stand the test of time. Absolutely, you know, Absolutely. and made history with a couple of those nominations. I think Mary J was mm-hmm. the first double nominee for an artist to be nominated for a song and a performance. Mm-hmm. And our cinematography, Rachel Morrison, was the first woman DP to ever get uh, an Oscar nomination in the history of the Academy. Come through. This is okay? what I'm saying. Like you've been such film. a trailblazer for the culture, and I want to make sure people know all of this story. Um, one thing that you kind of slid in there was you and your wife. Uh, co-financed it or financed it for a while, right? We financed the company. For the first six months. Yeah. Does that mean y'all work together? <laughs> we do. How yeah, is that, Stacey, how, yeah. how, how is that it, working with it, your wife? Initially, it was like, hey, you know, we, we were on the line here. She was like, you better, you've been talking about this since our second date, like oh. a one-day building this company. So you better so make this she signed up jump. for the dream. She oh, signed yeah. up for the plan. She, she definitely, knew it. She knew. And one of the things, while we were in a position to be able to, for me to leave WME, mm-hmm. to launch Macro on the self-funded, so we lived below our means for like a long time. Mm. So I was a very successful partner. And the house that we lived in, we did, we did okay, but we were very, we, were, we invested well. Mm-hmm. And we conserved our resources mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't be handcuffed to have to stay. So that I could take that risk that we did. And it's obviously it's paid off handsomely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know I got to get ready to get you out of here. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to try to slide in two more questions. Okay. One, 
What's next for macro? Like, as you're thinking about the future, and look, I've watched you. You built the advertising arm, the experiential arm, so you're doing way representation more. Representation arm. Representation arm, right? So you're doing more than TV and film or how it Absolutely. originally started. Um, what's next? So we have our five verticals. We have our three content verticals, film, television, and digital content. We have our representation arm, M88, and Uncommon, which represents digital influencers. It represents everyone from Michael B. Jordan, Idris Elba, Taraji. Yeah. Henson, <laughs> Who was amazing H- last H- night H- at, at the, the, right, the BET Awards. Last yeah, night. She was amazing. Ryan Coogler and just so many of the culture-defining artists of our time. They're represented by my partners in our representation business. Uh, and then we have our creative agency. Those are our five core businesses. Uh, what's for the future? Yeah. Each, just imagine each of those getting bigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then you can imagine growth internationally. Okay. You can imagine as we build the brand. So right now, people in Hollywood, everyone in Hollywood, very few people that are working in our town haven't heard of macro, mm-hmm, at least mm-hmm. in film and television. Yeah. Um, but we want to build such that macro, the brand, is known to consumers. Mm-hmm. So we have to do You're work there. Facing. We got we to build our consumer-facing brand. And so part of what we're doing around digital content, our creative agency, the things we're doing around experiential is building that community and building that relationship with the consumer as well. Um, and then I just would just say, yeah, we're going to we're going to keep scaling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's still early days uh, and we have some dope projects coming. Out. I got to give a shout out to our projects. Yeah, We've got a really amazing sci fi film, um, which is our largest. Black people doing sci fi. Oh, yeah. Black people doing sci fi. But sci fi with a twist is dope. Love this all of that. Amazing filmmaker, Joel T- Taylor. First time filmmaker stars Jamie Foxx, John Boyega yeah. and Tayana Parrish. And it's going to be on Netflix. That's going to be dope. Uh, working with my brother, Alan Hughes, mm-hmm. who, man, he's incredible. He's got a five-part docuseries on Tupac that, uh, that he's doing in conjunction with the estate. That's going to be on FX. That'll come out later on this year. So those are two things we have in the can that'll be coming out later on this year. And then we got a lot of stuff that's in the that's, uh, that's in the lab, that's being cooked up that I can't talk about. <laughs> Something we've announced but a lot of stuff going on. It's, it's really busy. There's a lot going on, but it's a great time. Yeah. You know, for the culture and it's a great time with our company. Look, King, I say that in two ways. One, your name is Charles King, but two, you are royalty, <laughs> man. Um, I'm going to let you go and just say thank you. Thank, thank you, you for being here. Thank you for all that you have done for the culture. When I listen to you tell about, you know, talk about your story, there's so many like beautiful themes, the power of relationships, the power of paying dues, the power of finding a partner who has an aligned vision with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all it is, the power of long-term thinking over short-term thinking, not making short-term, long-term sacrifices for short-term projects right now. There's so many gems that you gave us. And so um, thank you for the gems that you gave us in this interview. But more importantly for me, thank you for all that you have done for the culture. Um, your, your hands have been on so much of it. And uh, it's a story I wanted to make sure that everyone knows. Man, thank you for having me. Thank you once again for sharing with me. and But also all the people that you're sitting down with. Because there's so many people behind the scenes mm-hmm. who are part of the movement that people don't know about. 100%. So I'm really, I think it's really special that you guys are doing it. And I got to say shout out to Puff, man. Yeah, and uh, he's an icon and a legend. And uh, I was so sad I couldn't be there last night. I was my son. I dropped him off at a camp, and I couldn't be there because my flight got canceled. But I'm gonna have to say this: mm-hmm. when I launched Macro, he was, and I know everyone in our town. He was the one celebrity that called and said, "How can I be supportive financially? Are you looking for investors?" And just his reach out, I can't tell you what it's meant. The inspiration that he's been from afar. So seeing him get that Lifetime Achievement Award last night, how much he's done for our culture and for me 
is is incredible. So to be here uh, on on his network, talking to you, and you're like really the steward of this brand. Thank you. Thank you for everything that you're doing for us. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. This podcast is supported by Morgan Stanley. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking to help you see untapped possibilities and relentlessly work with you to make them real. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's.